Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. Our church's vision is to have a passion for God and compassion for people. We hope that the teachings in this podcast will encourage you as you seek to follow Christ and grow in your faith. Now, let's get into today's message. Well, good morning, Ritman Grace. How are we today? It's great to be here with you. Uh, my name is Clark. I'm the pastor here. If we have never had the opportunity to meet yet, I would love to meet you and connect with you after service. Uh, feel free to stick around in our lobby and you don't have to take off too fast. But as Dwayne was mentioned earlier during the announcements, uh, yeah, save the date for uh, August 27th. We'd love to just you know hang out and have some ice cream together. I mean, who doesn't like ice cream, right? And it's summertime. It's the best time to have ice cream. There's never a bad time to have ice cream, to be honest, but Anyway, we love, yeah, yeah, somebody resonates with that. Well, this morning, I want to remind us what we believe about the Word of God. It's a very important doctrine belief as a church, but the reality that God's Word and His grace, His grace in His Word is really speaking to us in our foolishness, in our ignorance, and, and our need for wisdom. And so, this morning... What that means is this, all of God's Word, even the parts of it, I know sometimes when I'm reading the Word, sometimes I can find some things that are, that are troubling. There's stories that are challenging when you read the Bible. They're all God's grace to us. And it's with that perspective that we need to engage Genesis chapter 19 this morning. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 19. That's where we're going to be this morning. And if you don't have a Bible, then we would just encourage you to pay attention to the words on the screen. But Genesis 19 is where we're going to be today. And I want to begin our time in God's Word by remembering an observation that C.S. Lewis made. C.S. Lewis was a very wise uh, Christian author, theologian. And here's uh, something that he observed that I thought was very helpful for me. So I think it might be helpful for you as well, especially as we engage with this text of scripture today. So here's what he says. The ancient man approached God as the accused person approaches his judge. For the modern man, the rules are quite reversed. He is the judge. God is in the dock. So the, the dock, by the way, is a place in a British courtroom where the accused stands. Modern man is quite a kindly judge. If God should have a reasonable defense for being the God who permits war, poverty, and disease, he is ready to listen to it. The trial may even end in God's acquittal, but the important thing is that man is on the bench and God is in the dock. I don't know about you, but I can't help but resonate with what C.S. Lewis observed as we come to this passage in Genesis 19 this morning you know, perhaps the way that you feel about this story that we're going to read is a little bit like I do. It may be that in previous generations, people would read this, you know, about God's destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and think like, good, great, you know, this is, God has a right to do this, no big deal. But I think in our day and age, we're more quickly to read a story like this and have some questions for God. And some people might be thinking, what, what right does God have to destroy these cities? Should God not be more tolerant, more inclusive, more gentle? So I think we need to acknowledge that there are some 
questions that are on the table and in our hearts as we come to the Scriptures this morning. So what I'm asking us to do today is I want to encourage us to ask questions about the text, but to also ask questions about our hearts. To ask, as we sit here this morning, here in Ritman, Ohio in 2023, and we look at this text in Genesis 19, what presuppositions, what presuppositions are we bringing with us to the text? And what cultural assumptions do we have that might color our reading of this text? And how, I, how might we be prone to hear this in certain ways based on our stories and our experiences and our cultural background? We want to ask the question, we want to ask questions about the text, but we also want to ask questions, be honest about what we're bringing to the text as modern readers. So just like C.S. Lewis said, you know, we have a tendency to sit in a place of judgment of God rather than allowing God to sit in the place of judgment over us. So having said that, here is the outline that I want to follow this morning with this text in the sermon. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. But I want us to see in Genesis chapter 19, three things. I want us to look at the reality of judgment, the reality of grace, and the means of grace. The reality of judgment, the reality of grace, and the means of grace. So let's start by looking at that first heading together, the reality of judgment. Now I want to start by actually not convincing you of God's judgment. That'll come later. But I want to start by convincing you of the reality of your judgment. The reality that you as a human being make judgments. We human beings are moral creatures. That we think in categories of good and bad, right and wrong, moral, immoral. In fact, these categories are so foundational to our existence that we, we see through moral lenses. Everything that we see is through a moral lens. We import an ethical framework into everything that we see and everything that we experience. In fact, sociologist Christian Smith, he wrote a book called What is a Person? But here's what he has to say. We as humans are moral animals. We possess a capacity and a propensity unique among animals, not only to have desires, beliefs, and feelings, but also to make moral evaluations of our desires, beliefs, and feelings. Human persons are incapable of not existing in a morally oriented reality. So the bottom line is really this, that you and I are moral creatures and we make moral judgments. We see life through the lens of right and wrong. We see life through the lens of good and evil. And the question we have to ask is, why are we like that? Where did we get that from? And the answer that the Bible gives is that we are made in the image of God and that God is a moral being, that God makes judgments about right and wrong, good and bad. And God sees good and evil with perfect moral clarity. So we read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, and we have to reckon with the fact that God has the right and the wisdom to judge between good and evil. In fact, when we see what's true of us, we realize that we are made in God's image. It becomes quite clear that God can be no other kind of being than a moral being who makes moral judgments about the universe and about life on earth. So let's look at Genesis 19 together and see how beautiful and how good God's judgment is. 
I want to zoom out a little bit first, and I just want to take in the features of this narrative, this story of Genesis 19, to kind of help us see the goodness of God's judgment here. I want you to notice how the text describes the place of Sodom. Notice, first of all, that Sodom is a wicked place. Sodom is a wicked place. All the way back in Genesis chapter 13, when Abraham and Lot were first separating, they were having a discussion about who's going to go where. We read this. The text tells us, Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. There's no doubt of the moral depravity of this place. It's a wicked place. Secondly, Sodom is a dark place. Sodom is a dark place. Look at Genesis 18, 20. We read it last week. The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous. Notice that word grievous. In some of your translations, it's the word grave. But if you take that word and you shove it back in the original Hebrew language, it's a word that means heavy. It's a word that means weighty. There's a sense of heaviness, weightiness about this place, Sodom. It's a wicked place. It's a dark place. And then finally, Sodom is a place of violence, lust, and danger. Look at Genesis chapter 19, verses 4 and 5. It says this, Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Some translations say so that we may know them, which is just the standard Hebrew euphemism for carnal knowledge. This is a city that is lustful, violent, and dehumanizing. It's a brutal, vicious place. And when we understand the kind of place that we're talking about here, here's what I think that we could begin to realize. You don't want a God who's okay with what's going on in Sodom. You want a God who sees rightly the moral implications of what's happening here. Whether it's at bars and nightclubs that are like this, or whether it's at home situations that are like this, the scriptures are telling us that God is not pleased with such places. God is not indifferent to such behaviors. And it is good news that God is not okay with this. Because God would not be okay with it. He would not be good if he was okay with this. But second, notice just how the text describes Sodom. Notice how the text describes God and what it says to us about the reality of God's judgment. First, we learn that God is a God who hears the cries of the victim. God is a God who hears the cry of the victim. Notice in Genesis 18, verses 20 and 21. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. Notice, God is listening. He hears the cry of the victim. There are people crying out about the injustices in Sodom, and God says he is the kind of God who hears the cry of the victim. What good news for our world. But then second, notice God is a God who checks the facts. God is a God who checks the facts. He wants us to know that he's going to examine the case and he's going to see what's true. Notice again in verse 21 that I will go down and see 
if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. God is communicating to his people, hey, I'm going to check this out. I'm going to look into this. I'm going to see what's really going on here. God is a God who checks the facts. And then finally, we see that God is a God who is great in mercy. God is a God who is great in mercy. Remember at the end of chapter 18, which we looked at last week, Abraham barters with God. Hey, what if there's 30 righteous people in this city? What if there's 20 righteous people in this city? God, what if there's 10 righteous people in this city? And what we learn is that God is willing to spare a whole city, the whole city of Sodom, if he can find just 10 righteous people who live in it. And what God is revealing about his character is that he is not a God who is quick to judgment. Or a God who is rash in his judgment. God is slow to judgment. He is measured. He is just. And his judgment, when it does come, it flows out of his goodness and his concern for human flourishing. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Abraham asked that question in chapter 18. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? And the answer is yes. Yes, he will. God's judgment is a reality, and God's judgment is not capricious, it's not vindictive, and it's not chaotic. It's holy, it's just, and it's good. So we need to reckon with the reality of judgment. God is a God who sees clearly good and evil, and who calls evil for what it is. I want to take some time this morning to trace out very briefly an important nuance about how God's judgment works. Because I think it's possible for us to think of God's judgment only in terms of fateful cataclysmic events like the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And I think that that is a mistake. So I want to show you what the Bible has to say. It says so much more about the nuance of what judgment, the judgment of God looks like. Because it does not always look like a Sodom and Gomorrah situation. So hold your finger on Genesis 19 and look with me at Romans chapter 1 in the New Testament. This is what the Apostle Paul lays out about justice, uh, the justice of God in the universe. So in Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18, the Apostle Paul says, the wrath of God is being revealed. And notice that it's present tense. Not will be revealed, but is being revealed being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 24. Therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity. Verse 26. Because of this, God gave them over to their shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. Verse 28. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they would do what ought not to be done. It's possible, as the Apostle Paul writes this, that he is thinking back to the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19. We're prone to think of God's judgment as some fateful cataclysmic event. And the Bible is abundantly clear that Jesus Christ will return to judge the living and the dead. 
But the Bible is also clear that God's judgment also looks like God giving people over to their sinful desires and passions. God will allow you to live in Sodom if that's what you want. So I want us to rightly and appropriately fear the judgment of God at the end of history because the scriptures say that that is a reality. But at the same time, at the same time, I want us to take note of God's judgment in history. I want us to take seriously the person that you could be becoming. C.S. Lewis put it this way, it's not a question of God sending us to hell. In each of us, there is something growing up which will be hell unless it is nipped in the bud. The first thing that Genesis chapter 19 teaches us is the reality of God's judgment. That God sees the universe with stark moral clarity. That he judges between right and wrong, good and evil. But that's not all we see in this text because we also see in the midst of judgment not only the reality of judgment, but the reality of grace. And that's the second thing I want to talk about this morning. I want to point out, in fact, three places where we see the grace of God in this story. First, we see the grace of protection. The grace of protection. Look at verse 10. The men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness, so that they could not find the door. Isn't it gracious of these angels acting on behalf of God to protect Lot from this raging mob that is at the door of this house? We see the grace of protection. Think about your life. Think about how many times you've experienced God's grace of protection in your own life. How many times have you been in the wrong place at the wrong time and nothing terrible happened? How many of you have been in, you know, made bad decisions where you should have had serious consequences, but somehow the consequences were not nearly as severe as they could have been? Can anybody relate to that? Isn't it true that part of how we experience the grace of God in our lives is just that he's graciously protecting us sometimes? The grace of protection. Notice also the grace of warning. The grace of warning. Genesis 19, verse 12 and 13. The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here? Son-in-law, sons or daughters? Anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out here. Or get them out of here. Because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against his people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. God graciously warns Lot. He says, hey, anybody that you know, Anybody that you care about, get them out of here because we are going to judge this place. God gives the grace of warning. He gives time and warning so that Lot can gather the people who belong to him. This is exactly the same thing that God is doing for us today. Through his word, through his church, through his people, he gives us the grace of warning. He's reminding us, hey, there's going to be a day, there's going to be a coming when God is going to judge the world. And so all who hear and believe this message should rest in and trust in and run to the Lord Jesus Christ. We see the grace of protection, see the grace of warning, but then finally we see the grace of deliverance. Look at verses 15 and 16 with me now. 
With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and his two daughters led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. God doesn't just warn, he delivers. He delivers actively. And notice he seizes the people by the hand and he pulls them out of the city. And likewise, God seizes us by the hand, as it were, and he draws us into his kingdom. He doesn't just leave us to our half-hearted attempts to escape this evil world and half-hearted desires to cling to Jesus, but rather God intervenes in our lives. He intervenes in our lives and he draws us into his kingdom by his grace. And what's amazing about Genesis chapter 19, it's not the reality of judgment, but it's Sodom's fate makes sense to any of us with a conscience. What's amazing about Genesis chapter 19 is the reality of grace. Think about what's happening here. Lot is caught up in the culture of Sodom, and he deserves the same judgment as the rest of the city, really. He's not part of, or excuse me, he is part of this corrupt system that's there. And as we see in the story, he's not morally superior to the people that are living in the city of Sodom. And yet, Lot and his family received grace. They were rescued. They were delivered. They were spared. So Genesis chapter 19 invites us to ask the question, is there faith, or excuse me, is there good news even in Sodom? And the answer is yes, there is. The good news is that God shows grace and mercy to people who do not deserve it. And that's still good news for us today. God's grace and mercy is available to people who don't deserve it. And yes, even you and me, we too can be rescued and delivered and set free. So quick recap, we've seen in this story the reality of judgment, the reality of grace. Thirdly, I want us to look at the means of grace. The means of grace. And perhaps this is the most important part of the story. Every thoughtful biblical scholar that looks at Genesis chapter 19 agrees that the key verse in this whole story, this whole narrative, is verse 29. Look at it with me. Verse 29. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham. And he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. And notice what we have here is it's like an editorial reflection. The writer is done reporting to us the events that took place, and now he's reflecting theologically on those events. He's telling us why God saved Lot. And the reason is God remembered Abraham. That's why. God remembered Abraham. In the end, this isn't so much a story about Lot as it is a story about Abraham. Why was Lot spared? It's because God remembered Abraham. Lot was saved through the intercession of another. Lot was saved because Abraham pleaded Lot's case before God. And can't you see that we're saved in the same way? We, like Lot, are living in Sodom. We've made peace with a wicked and sinful and godless world. We've joined in its idolatries and we have turned a blind eye to violence. We've laughed at the dirty jokes We've excused the sexual perversion, and we have called evil good and good evil. And yet, despite our failures, there's one more righteous than us, 
who has stepped in to plead our case before God. And his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he hasn't merely asked us, asked God to spare us. He has offered himself in our place. He has absorbed in his own being the destruction that we rightly deserve. The fire of God's judgment fell on the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross so that we could be set free, never to die again, but to live eternally. That's the good news of the gospel. One greater than Abraham has interceded for us so that we might not merely be spared from God's judgment, but adopted into his family, brought into his kingdom, and made part of his people. This is the gospel that Genesis 19 is preaching to us. We too can be saved through the intercession of another. So I want to draw two points of application from Genesis 19 as we come to a close this morning. What is God saying to us through this chapter? Here we are thousands of years later after these events, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, reading this ancient text, sitting here in Rittman, Ohio in the year of 2023, what is God, the Holy Spirit, saying to us through this text? Here's the first thing God is saying. Number one, flee from Sodom, run to Christ. Flee from Sodom, run to Christ. That's the first thing that we should do. The gospel message is a message of urgency. Christ says to you, wait no longer. Participate no longer in the sins of Sodom. Flee to Christ today. Now is the day of salvation. But here's the thing. I know that even when I say that for some of us, many of us have heard that invitation before. And maybe you don't just feel a sense of urgency, right? You're not hostile to Jesus. You're not unwilling to consider the claims of Jesus. But to be honest, you're like, my life seems to be going okay. It doesn't seem like there's a deep, urgent reason for me to upend everything and just follow Jesus Christ. I get it. But if that's where you find yourself, lacking a sense of urgency about the gospel and about its implications for your life, I want to remind you of two things. Number one is that quote from C.S. Lewis that I read a little bit ago. It's not a question of God sending us to hell. In each of us, there is something growing up which will be hell unless it is nipped in the bud. Realize that the longer you live apart from Jesus Christ, the more you become the kind of person who is at home apart from God. You are becoming a certain kind of person, whether you intend to or not. But secondly, I want us to remember the warning that Jesus gives to us in Luke chapter 17. Listen to what Jesus has to say in the Gospel of Luke. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building, but the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and it destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? He's saying, of course, life goes on as normal until it doesn't. All of us think there's always going to be another day for me to deal with the claims of Jesus. There's going to be another day for me to get serious about discipleship to Christ. And there usually is, until there's not. Right? 
But we should not be lulled into sleep. The gospel always comes to us with a sense of, sense of urgency. God is saying to us in Genesis chapter 19, flee from Sodom, run to Christ. Let today be the day that you give your life to him. That you take refuge in him. That you come to him and that you hope in him. Flee from Sodom, run to Christ. Here's the second point of application that we see in this text. Don't look back to Sodom. Don't look back to Sodom. Those of us who have been delivered by the grace of God are to move on toward virtue and holiness and a different kind of life. Don't look back to Sodom because there is nothing left for you back there. There's nothing worth going back there for. And I want you to notice the time references in this chapter. This is another thing that thoughtful readers and commentators draw attention to. It's in verses 1, verses 15, verses 23 and 24. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening. Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city when he saw them. He got up to meet them and bowed with his face to the ground. Verse 15 now. With coming, the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife, your two daughters who are here, who swept away when the city is punished. Verse 23. By the time Lot reached Zor, notice, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down sulfur, burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. You see, the deeds of Sodom take place in the darkness. But the light of day exposes what is true. So it's no accident that the New Testament apostles pick up on that theme of light and darkness. This is the theme of the day, breaking and exposing everything for what it is. And listen to what the Apostle Paul has to say in Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, Dan read it earlier, but let's look at it again together. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, he says in chapter 5, verse 8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Notice all the news that's packed in these verses here. You were once darkness. And this used to be what defined you. But now you are light. Why? Because you're in the Lord, and He is light, and you belong to Him. And so therefore you are light. And so notice what is to mark the life of God's people. The fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. What is to mark us? A concern for everything that is good and right and true. That's the kind of people that we are supposed to be. People that are committed to goodness and to righteousness and to truth. That's what begins to define us, which implies that we need to grow in our knowledge of what is good and right and true. We need to give ourselves to the pursuit of those things. And notice in verse 10, and find out what pleases the Lord. Find out what pleases the Lord. Here's what I love about this. What drives virtue and holiness for a Christian is not rules, it's relationship. I want to know what pleases God. Why? Because I love God. And I want to live a life that pleases Him. So I want to discern, I want to know what God is pleased with, and I want to increasingly live in that direction because I want to please God. 
What the world needs is Christians that are committed to holiness. Christians who are walking in the light, being filled with the fruit of the light, increasingly marked by goodness and truth and righteousness. What the, world's, what the world needs is not people asking, how close can I get to Sodom? That's what Lot was asking. But instead, people who are saying, the light has dawned on my heart. I know who I used to be. I know what I used to give myself to. And God has saved me from that, and God has changed me, and I'm done with the unfruitful works of darkness. And I want to walk in light as he is in the light, by grace. And here's the good news of the gospel, friends. When God delivers you by his grace, he also gives you the Holy Spirit to help you walk in the light. God has not delivered you from darkness and said, hey, here's a new course, go down there, have fun. No, he gives you the Holy Spirit. It's a gracious gift. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is given to you to help you walk in what is right and what is true and what is righteous. God doesn't just deliver us by his grace. He gives us his Holy Spirit to help us walk in the light. And that's the life that pleases God. That's the life that we are given to. And so the application of Genesis chapter 19 for us is don't look back to Sodom. Why? Because there's nothing for you back there. Walk in this new direction towards the kingdom of God in the way that God has saved you and changed you to do. So let's bow our heads in a word of prayer and ask for his grace to help us all in that, shall we? Well, God, we just thank you for this challenging text in Scripture this morning in Genesis 19. And we thank you that you give us the story for our good. We thank you for revealing yourself through it. And we acknowledge the reality of both your judgment and your grace. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for our sin and to set us free from the guilt and shame of our sin. To make it possible for us to walk in the new direction. And Lord, for those of us here this morning or watching online that have not yet fled from Sodom and run to Christ. Those who have not yet embraced Jesus in faith. Would you right now this morning provoke them with a sense of urgency of the gospel? Would you help them to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? And then, Father, would you help us not to look back to Sodom? Would you further the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives to help us walk in holiness and goodness and in truth? Let the light break into our hearts, open our eyes to see the beauty and the goodness of the life that you've called us to. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our church's mission is to follow God, share his truth, and be examples of the love of Jesus to all. If you would like to know more about us, you can visit our website at www.rittmangrace.org or drop by anytime for one of our in-person Sunday morning worship services. Once again, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time for another episode of the Rittman Grace Podcast.